everyone, how are you? Peace, peace the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. I'm wondering how many ex-Catholics are over here. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we just... How privileged, how blessed, how, how much we praise you, Father, for this opportunity to be here, to open up your word freely, to learn from you, to learn about you, to learn from the Lord Jesus, about the Lord Jesus, and all these writings. Lord Father, may we glorify your name in this half hour. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So chapter 14 of the Believe book, the fourth chapter of the second section, the Acts section, speaking on single-mindedness. If you remember uh, when, Phil, when Phil spoke on um, compassion, he was surprised to find it in the think section. Right? Because you think compassion is something that you, you show and you display. But as Phil went on to explain that compassion is something that begins in the mind and the heart. Right? You need to begin, you have to think compassionately before you act compassionately. And same with single-mindedness. I was actually surprised to find this in the act section, right? Because you, uh, you would think single-mindedness is uh, something you think about. It would be in the think section. But like compassion, it begins in the, th- in the think process. But it comes to its fruition in the act section, in the doing. So we have our key questions here. How do I keep my focus on Jesus amid distractions? Key idea, I focus on God and his proprieties for my life. That's one of our key words today, propriety. And our key verse, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Matthew 6.33 and if you look on the next page in the, the, the gray box, it's called uh, Our Map. Uh, the author says, The spiritual practice of single-mindedness is all about determining our priorities to ensure we are, one, practicing our faith, two, living out our beliefs, and three, accomplishing God's will for our lives. And just to flip to the, the last page um, of it, in the what, the what We Believe box, the, uh, the editors write, the practice of single-mindedness is about setting priorities. This involves putting our past decisions and actions behind us and focusing on God's kingdom with help from the Holy Spirit. And if we read through um, that chapter, we find a, a common word in there, a common thought, and that word is obey. And that's what brings us actually to, to the action part, right? The doing part of single-mindedness. The, the obeying. Excuse me as I open up my notes here. So, of course, we, as we sang, um, turn our eyes upon Jesus. Jesus is our number one example, isn't he? He's our guideline. He's the one in front of us when we think about being single-minded, when we think about obedience, when we think about acting. And the scripture says in Hebrew that Jesus learned obedience. He learned obedience from what he, what's the word? Anybody know? Suffered. That's that favorite Christian word that we all like to hear, isn't it? Suffering. Suffering for Christ. Hebrews 7, uh, sorry, Hebrews 5 Verses 7 and 8. During the, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because, because of his reverent submission. 
son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. I can think of four types of sufferings that the Bible says that Christians will go through. First one is tragedy, right? Personal global tragedy. As Christians, we are not exempt from these things, right? We live in a fallen world. We live in a sinful world, in a corrupt world. And these things happen. And God, Jesus, never promised that if you come to him, we will not suffer these things, right? If that were so, people would come to God. People would believe in the gospel for all the wrong reasons, right? For, for personal and self-motivation. They wouldn't be coming to Christ for, uh, in, in a repentant heart. It wouldn't be about the gospel. It wouldn't about, be about salvation. It wouldn't be about faith and love. The second uh, type of suffering that Christians go through is persecution. Here in the West, we're not very familiar with that, are we? But we have a lot of brothers and sisters around the world who do suffer um, <clears throat> persecution. It's... Um, and Jesus said it's something that will happen right up to his second coming. Another form of suffering that we go through is temptation. Right? We see this um, Ananias and Sapphira. How they suffer temptation. How, how Satan um, put it in them to lie to the Holy Spirit, to lie to the apostles. It's evident in Jesus' prayer that we, we as Christians will suffer temptation. You know, when you pray, pray, lead us not into temptation but delivers from evil, delivers from the evil one. As long as the tempter is in the world, we as Christians will suffer temptation. And we suffer death. Physical death, yes, this is something we don't have control over, but what I want to talk about today, the death I want to talk about today that we suffer, is death to self. Humility. Something we don't really have uh, control over. Or something we should have control. So these are our three key words. Obedience. Um, priority. Obedience. And suffering. Humility. So I'm thinking of Jesus uh, being our prime example for humility and for, uh, for obedience. And I'm thinking of... Let's see if you guys can read my mind here. I'm thinking of an epistle and I'm thinking of a chapter that really emphasizes Jesus' humility and obedience. What am I thinking of? Philippians 2. Yes, you guys are amazing. You guys must read the Bible or something. That's good. My daughter, Jamie's really good at this. Jamie, what am I thinking about right now? Blueberry pie. She knows it, yes. She's better than you guys. Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 and 8. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider Consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even the death on the cross. What a wonderful example we have. So Jesus' death is a display of his reverent submission and his obedience to God, to his God, and to his Father. Okay, self-application. How? Why? How, how do we as, as Christians take on this, um, how do we prioritize our lives? How, how, uh, you know, to be single-minded. How do we become submiss submissive? How do we become obedient? 
How do we suffer death? How do we become humble? Well, there's some very powerful verses in the Gospels that I want to read. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, when Jesus says very truly, it's very important. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, meaning if it doesn't fall and die, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it. That's a tough verse, isn't it? Jesus is saying, this, you know, that's, that's John chapter 3, right? Those, you know, the light came into the world, but people in the world, they rejected the light because they loved darkness rather than the light. They loved their evil deeds rather than the light. So Jesus is saying, whoever loves their life will lose it. While anyone who hates their life, this is Romans 7, right? Oh, wretched man that I am. People recognizing that they're sinful, that they're wretched, that they're separated from God because of their evil deeds. So whoever hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And Jesus goes on to say, whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant also must be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Another big verse in Luke 14. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me, what is that, carrying the cross? Where are you going when you're carrying your cross? You're going to Calvary. You're going to die, right? That's what Jesus is saying. Whoever... Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciple. Reminds me of the rich young ruler, right? Who came to Jesus, you know. Uh, you know, what must I do to, to inherit eternal life? I've done this, I've done this, I've kept this commandment, I've kept this commandment. And the scriptures said that Jesus loved him. Just, just loved him. This guy's got that, you know. He wants to follow God. He wants eternal life. But Jesus knew the one thing. Right? Sell all your riches. Give it to the poor. Then come follow me. And the man couldn't do it. And Jesus said, you cannot be my disciple. Anyone here ever heard of the boulder hunter? Of course you haven't. I made him up. It's me. I'm the boulder hunter. It's a nickname I've made up for myself. Let me tell you the story behind that. Uh, most of, sorry for drawing attention to myself, but it's a funny illustration. Most of you know that I like to rock climb, right? And one of the things that I like climbing is boulders. And you're thinking boulders. But there are boulders around town that are very big. Has anybody here ever been out to Archie's Rock or know what I'm talking about? Stan, Stan and Margaret have been there because I've taken you guys there. Out by Little Star Lake, there are the boulders that are from the ground almost as high as this roof. Huge rocks piled together. You can actually go right in between a couple of them. And that whole area out by Little Star, there's boulders that size everywhere. And that climbing that kind of rock is extremely fun. You don't need ropes or harness. You just bring a crash pad, start from the bottom. And if you fall, you land on the pad. And it's extremely challenging, very hard. And, you know, you stay fit and strong, as you can see. And so if I'm not climbing... I'm looking for places to climb. I'm looking for boulders. I am the boulder hunter. And what I'm looking for is what I call 
the elephant graveyard. I'm waiting for the day where I come through this field and there's this big pile of gray rocks everywhere. And it's, wow, the elephant graveyard. I had met a young Christian boy a few years ago uh, and I started taking him rock climbing. And this was all new for him. He grew up skateboarding in Timmins and down in Toronto. So going out in the bush, out in the middle of nowhere, it was all new for him. I grabbed... Google Earth, and I'm looking for places, and I grab my GPS, and I'm like off trail, going through thick swamp and stuff just to look for boulders. And this guy's never done anything like this before, and he's followed me for a couple of years. We climb and hike and climb. And then one time, we, we paddle across this lake, and we're going through this thick bush to get to this boulder, and he just yelled out, Wally, somebody's got to make a documentary about you one day. <laughs> so what? He said, who does this? Right? And then what he said really struck me. He said, I mean, who does this? Who spends all their time and effort looking for rocks? You know, flattering as it is, as a Christian, that's not a real big compliment, is it? That's where we get into single-mindedness. You know, so I have to start asking myself these questions. I got a list of questions. Do I live my, do I, do I love my life or do I hate my life? Do I put Christ first and foremost? Have I given up everything? Have I taken up my cross? Have I, like a kernel of wheat, died and produced many seeds? Or am I simply just a single seed? Am I a disciple? Am I among those who Jesus says, that only says, Lord, Lord, but I don't do the will of the Father? What type of soil am I? Is the seed falling on? Am I good soil? Am I producing fruit? Or am I the soil by the wayside? Or the rocks? Or the thorns? Am I merely a hearer and not a doer? Sobering thoughts for a Christian to consider, isn't it? Sobering it, essential questions to ask when considering single-mindedness. James writes something very powerful in his letter. James chapter 1, verses 22-25, James says, Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word, but does not do what it says, is like someone who looks, in the face, looks at his face in the mirror, and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Right? That's ridiculous, right? Who looks in the mirror and says, oh, yeah, that's what I look like, and walk away. Wait, I forgot what I look like. You know? I know I'm going gray on top and underneath. I, I know I've got wrinkles and bags under my eyes. You know? I don't forget what I look like when I walk away. This is, it's, right? it's a ridiculous illustration. James is saying, and, you know, if you read the Word and you go away and you don't follow the, 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 the commandments and the, the teachings and the instructions that the Bible teaches you, you're ridiculous. This, this illustration. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Did you catch the key words there? Listen, do, look, continue, do not forget, doing, Doing, 
Read some more verses. This is my this is my Steve Asawa sermon. If you ever notice Steve, Steve's got like tons of verse, uh, scripture, scripture, scripture. Like I'm making up for one of my last sermons because all I did was talk about Veggie Tales for half an hour. If you remember one of my other sermons, so I'm making up. This, thanks to Steve. It's verse after verse. Philippians two. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work, continue to work, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act. God wants you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Romans 8, verses 28 and 29. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God knew, listen, here's God working. He predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Ephesians 2 uh, 8 and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not uh, from yourselves. It is a gift from God, not by works, so that uh, no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus for good works, to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So all this talk about doing and good works. God creating us to do good work and God working in to be conformed to his son, to do good works. So what's good works and doing got to do with single-mindedness? It's evidence, isn't it? Evidence of single-mindedness. I want to read, uh, Rod read a verse this morning. Sorry, I don't have it right here, but... In the Gospel of John, verse 14. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, uh, Rather it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Jesus is saying, Works as evidence that, that, that the Christ is in you and you are in Christ. Your unity with Christ. So these are evidence. Evidence that your faith in God is not dead without good works, but rather your faith is alive with good works. Your works are evidence that dying to self like a kernel of wheat, to, that you've died to yourself uh, like a kernel of wheat, producing more seed. Evidence of your spiritual priority. Evidence that you love Jesus. For Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Evidence that God is working in you to, uh, to conform you to the image of his Son. Evidence that, God, like Jesus, you, are all, you always do what pleases the Father. Evidence of your prayer life and your time in the Bible. You ever notice where this, this chapter was in the book Belief? Just before it was prayer, Bible study, and then single-mindedness, and then the next chapter is um, total surrender. Perfect, but strategically placed, I think. Because you can't, can't have single-mindedness, I don't think, without having a prayer life and studying. And we'll see, you know, the, uh, next week when, how single-mindedness leads to total surrender. So our works are evidence of our single-mindedness, evidence of our priorities, that we've reprioritized our lives as Christians, Evidence of our obedience and evidence of our humility.
So how do we keep our focus on Jesus? Philippians 2 seems to be our chapter for today. There's some wonderful verses. If you join me in Philippians chapter 2, there's some wonderful verses here that I want to touch on. Philippians chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. I'm going to skip verse 1 first and uh, start off in 2 and 3 and then go back to 1. Paul says, Then make my joy complete by being like-minded... He's talking to the church. Be like-minded, having the same love, being one in the Spirit, and one of mind. And here's our single-mindedness, verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And then verse 1. Okay, Paul, how do we do this? What, what keeps us motivated to do this? And listen, verse 1. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ. Wow, that's powerful. If you have any comfort from his love. If any common sharing in the spirit. And any tenderness and compassion. So if these things are first and foremost in your mind that encouraged by your, you know, I'm united with Christ. Like, what is that? You know, meditate on that constantly and, and find comfort in His love. God so loved the world. God, God so loved you that He gave His only Son. And we shall not perish. When I surveyed the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my riches gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God. All the vain things that charm me most, boulder hunting, I sacrifice them to his blood. See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did ever such love and sorrow meet? Or thorns compose such a crown. If you know the last verse, please say it with me. We're the whole realm of nature mind that we're present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. When I first started climbing, I used to subscribe to climbing magazines. You know, just to see, you know, training hints and see what's going on in the training world. But one thing really turned me off with the climbing magazines was that they had an obituary section in every, in every magazine. And, and it's just people dying climbing. Accidents, or the, the part that used to upset me the most is the people that go on these big expeditions to, to Nepal or, you know, K2, Everest, whatever. And they're there for months, away from their family, away from their kids, risking their lives to climb a rock. And they die leaving their wife a widow and their kids fatherless. Why? To climb a rock. And the part that upset me the most was that almost, I could always guarantee it was there at the end of every obituary, it would say, but he or she died doing what they loved. Like that was supposed to, you know, give some kind of comfort. I used to scream at the magazine, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard! Isn't it? Would that bring life to, uh, comfort to the widow? Well, your husband died doing what he loved. <laughs> he left me with a mortgage. He left me with kids. 
I don't care about his climbing. I don't care about the boulders. If you look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, thinking, you know, the boulder, the boulder hunter. He dedicated his life to looking for and climbing boulders. But this is what I want. This is what I want people to say about me. This is what Paul says. This is what, this is what you're aiming for, Paul says to Philippians. This is what you want people to say about you. And put your name in this. I'm paraphrasing a bit. It says, he or she was blameless and pure. They were a child of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. He or she shined among them like stars in the sky. He or she held firmly to the word of life. Now, that's single-mindedly. That's what I want in my gravestone, my epitaph. And if you, if you keep going down Philippians 2, look at verses 19 and 22. Listen, listen to what Paul says about Timothy. This is just amazing. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you that I also may be, uh, also may be cheered when I receive news about you. Now listen to this. I have no one else like him. Wow! That's what I want people to say about me. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. Now that's Christ-likeness. That's single-mindedness. For everyone else looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ, but you know that Timothy has proved himself. He's proven that he doesn't look out for his own interests, but for the interests of Christ. And because he looks out for the interests of Christ, he looks out for the interests of others and their welfare. He's proven himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. Humbling, humbling verses. So how do we conclude this? Jesus, our Savior, you know, pray, Lord Jesus, guide us in this single-mindedness. Help us to reprioritize our life. Help us to be obedient to your word. Help us in humility. Help us to be humble. Help us, like Timothy, you know, just the cares of others would be first and foremost in our lives. Pray. Read the Bible. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness, and all these things will follow. I hope these words in the Bible and my, my illustration of myself, please pray for me, brothers and sisters, that I, um, that I too, that's, you know, everyone here has trouble have, have things that distract us from the Lord's work. You pray for me and I'll pray for you. Our Heavenly Father, we truly humble ourselves before you, Lord Father, and think of the commandments, the, the things that you call for us to do, to be a disciple, Lord Father. These are just, they're not easy things, Father, to give up everything for the sake of the gospel. The Lord Father, as we read this morning in... Uh, in Hebrews, we have so many witnesses of faith in the past who have lived their lives, who have given their lives for you because of the faith in you. And Lord, Father, may we, with this cloud of witness around us and with the cloud of witness there in the Bible, 
and with the Lord Jesus before us. Lord Father, help us to turn our eyes upon Jesus and look full in his wonderful face that the things, not only that the things of earth will go strangely dim so that we won't be uh, attracted to them, but Lord Father, that the things of this world become crystal clear so we can see them for what they are. Sinful, ungodly, distractions, temptations from the devil. Help us, Lord Father, in our walk. Help us to be single-minded, to give our lives to you and for you in Christ Jesus. Amen.